0: Hey guys, this is a little prelude of a three-part series that we're doing on a pretty controversial subject. It actually, the reason Troy and I started to do this trilogy, our first of our trilogies of on a t- particular subject, is we had some controversy on our own Facebook page. So, this particular subject has had a ton of scuttlebutt in its entire existence. It's from, and that is. Grass carp, particularly triploid grass carp. I mean, these fish are sterile. These they, they eat algae and vegetation. Some types of algae and vegetation. They they are they good because even though they're sterile, they're they're not native to the United States. You know, so that gets people kind of upset. It, it's their stocking ratios. They've had some really incredible. Uh, successes with them but then they also have had some really bad impacts on the environment even from the existence of their their first day of the way they were they were created there was a, a race to who could do it first and so there was kind of a arc from the day they were created they they was some from controversy even from that beginning on well, this three-part series i hope you really love it our first one that's the one you're going to listen to today is ernesto lasso de la vega we go to lee county that is the county that created the one of the first triploid grass carp there was a race with the university they did it first it was kind of interesting the controversy into which it was developed he talks about why they needed to do it and what successes and what they learned actually from that fish in a bad way too and so it's really an interesting talk. We're actually he had some great video. We didn't want to miss those, so we're actually going to put those on the on the website and make a, a video podcast too. As if you would want to to go there after you listen to the podcast and see some of his videos. So it's pretty awesome. Number two of the series, we actually run up to a, a guy named Tim Egan. He's up again he was up against the post because he had hydrilla, which is an invasive plant, but it was it, it's usually utilized by two different uh tools in our toolbox with chemistries and uh they became resistant so he had nothing else to do he actually has done uh an interesting point of view from not liking fish to uh having to have to use them and then what was after he used them it's going to be interesting to talk about uh to hear what he has to say about them in the conclusion and we move on down is is uh, or move on up I should say is uh, we brought in I mean a awesome biologist uh, from Duke Energy the uh, head aquatic biologist I mean he's he's awesome he basically talks about his experience with these fish and their reservoirs and their, what he says about them may surprise you so um, it's a really cool. I hope we've kind of dialed into why they have failed and why sometimes they have successes and, and some get some uh, a little more clarity out of this fish so there's not so much controversy out of it, um, but I think there always will be on this particular subject. So I hope you enjoy here on Sitting Dockside our three-part series, the Triploid Trilogy. Well, we're your hosts, Matt Rail and my Tennessee buddy, Troy Goldsby. Together, we have been working with lakes and ponds for over 40 years. And during that time, we have picked up on a ton of tips and tricks from lake owners and experts from all over the country. So if you want to learn how to catch some smiles from your kids or grandkids on your
1: lake, or learn how to grow some memories on your pond, then come sit with us on Sitting Dockside.
0: Okay, welcome here with the Sitting Dockside. My fellow host, Troy Goldsby, got pulled away in the last couple minutes. So it's just me and this special guest Ernesto Lasso de la Vega, did I say it right? Yes, very good. Yeah. You got an A. <laughs> I did it. I did an A. All right. So, long story short, this is the part one of of the talk and of the uh, podcast on on triploid grass carp, and and we, we are trying to do. If you look back, we're trying to see dive in into it. Very how they got started, why they got started. When did they mess up and where they are good, best management practices and how a lot of people have had success with them. So this is going to be a a two part and maybe even a three part series on this podcast. Really diving into these guys, because even at the beginning, which Ernesto is going to tell us about, they had some controversy right off the bat. Right. Right. It's it's pretty hilarious. Pretty great story. But this to give us a head start on. Ernesto, you are not working for a university. You are actually a county in South Florida, Lee County, actually Lee County highest in control district in Fort Myers. Right. Tell me a little bit about that district because that's going to lead into how in the world did some county down there learn how to make triploidy out of, out of grass carp?
1: Well, it's a little long story, but I'm gonna make it very short. In fact, I'm so glad and happy. Thank you so much for having me here present, give you a little bit of a history on this three-foot grass curve. And yes, to to explain a little bit about the Hyacinth Control District is a special district in Florida. And we were created uh, along with mosquito control. In fact, if I may click and share some of the pictures that I have so we can make it quite dynamic here. I'm asking. And for the listeners,
0: we are going to do this because there is some neat images I I told Ernesto to bring along. We'll do our best job explaining what the the images are for the podcast, for the audio podcast as you're driving down the road. But if you want to take some time, we're actually doing a video podcast too at the same time that we're going to put on pwnra.org.
1: Yeah. Well, this is the the newest picture that I have from the district, the Lee County Hyacinth, Mosquito and Hyacinth. We're We always battle but so we both these entities were created in the 1962 i believe and we were created to control mosquitoes but the person who actually came up with this is is, is saw the vision of creating from an old military base in four myers and you see this runway that is where the the planes were parked for training airplane uh, air pilots for the second world war They were all parked here, the planes and they were practicing in runways. Of course, the runways went all over. But the the, the vision of this gentleman who I have here in the next picture, this fellow here, Mr. Miller, he saw the, the, the runway as a great opportunity to have a mosquito control infrastructure. And he also saw the vision that we need to control the hyacinth, which are the aquatic weeds, are hiding the mosquitoes. So I just wanted to give you a little brief. So that's interesting. So water hyacinth, and if you look
0: back in our history of of lakes and ponds, a lot of the aquatic plant, now aquatic plant management societies Mm -hmm. were originally, and if you look at the old emblems, they had old hyacinth on them. They were actually called water hyacinth uh, associations. And then they formed into aquatic plants as they merged out into the U.S. Because water hyacinth was causing huge problems in the canals, yeah. It's a floating plant of these large roots under it, reproduces like crazy. Um, and then they would they would basically stop up the canal and have all these troubles and creating a lot of backwater and also habitat. Unfortunately, mosquitoes are able to live and thrive, right? And the mosquitoes were carriers. Uh, I mean, we all need to know just a real quick that mosquitoes are a big carrier of a, a tremendous amount of, Uh, they're actually the number one creature if i'm saying this right that's killed more humans than any other creature on the planet and so this district and fort myers is really known for carrying a lot of well having a lot of mosquitoes so actually you um that's interesting you have this this mosquito control facility was built and then hyacinth as a secondary aquatic plant
1: control and then where did uh where did we go from here well, here's the, the map of Lee County. If you see the islands, all that wetlands, all, everything with so much water. And in fact, this area here, Cape Coral, is full of canals and canals that can breed mosquitoes, can breed hyacinth, can breed aquatic underwater aquatic vegetation that impede the navigation. So that's the story where we come with the grass carp because There were so many water lines here, uh, canals, that we needed to control. So the best way to do it was with the grass cart. We'll get to that a little later, but uh, I want to just present a little bit of that.
0: Yeah. uh, And then to add to that, you get a little more funding because it's a little more different in there. They knew this was an issue early. And so they created um, some funding right away into which uh, um, that started this kind of in motion this district right and so correct. every person in the area create have a certain amount of tax for every hundred thousand of their home and exactly. that's how you guys get a lot of your funding which is different from the rest of the world
1: right correct i mean whether you own the land i mean you you have a property that is nearby a pond or a river you still have to pay for again controlling mosquito controlling the weeds keeping the navigation keeping flooding and all that other issues so that that's the reason and it's a is a tax a special tax district that we have here ah uh, interesting okay can we jump into the fish now
0: yes we, we are we established it yeah let's do it let's, let's do it, it.
1: all so right this this is a, a fantastic story because this fish is first of all is from china is an exotic asian fish and it's different from all the other uh supreme uh, carps that you hear they their family of the koi's, family of goldfish their family of the big head the black carp i mean they're but these guys they're very unique because they have pharyngeal teeth and they do not have in them in their mouth so they don't gonna bite you they're gonna just numb on the plants that is sticking out like this cara that you see there sticking out
0: yeah these speaking of pharyngeal teeth we found a dead grass carp on the uh laying on the shoreline uh, i don't know last summer uh-huh. and the teeth on it in the back look like i mean when you bring them in they look almost like sharp teeth but they you don't even see them in the on, on exactly the fish themselves they actually live in the throat and they're actually yeah. used to tearing and and ripping apart of all this you know right. material cool
1: and, and it's so cool because if you touch their mouth they have lips, so they don't have they don't, yeah, teeth. They, do. they don't have they don't teeth, have teeth. Or yeah. No. You can kiss them, <laughs> they're They're so fantastic. And they're big, in fact, let me show you how big they are. Oh my. Oh my, it's right. This baby, oh, and by the way, that's me when I was like young, <laughs> when I had hair. Oh, for goodness. the guys that are how the guys that are
0: uh listening and not seeing this, you have this carp wrapped around your chest. And and how big is that thing? Oh my
1: goodness, that's a that's a 40-pounder right there, and probably 40-30 oh, pounds. My.
0: Yeah, and you're holding yeah, it a- like a little baby.
1: Yeah. <laughs> She is one of our breeders, the, the brew stock that we have. So we let, let them grow that big because they will produce babies. And they can live up to 30 years. You know, these guys are long life. They're oh big. My. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, the breeder pond. So you were actually, telling them a little bit how you guys. Okay. So here's
1: also, I have a video and I took this video when we first started doing this and then so again, forbid, forgive me with the, the quality of the video. <laughs> of course, that's not me. That's John Cassani, who we'll talk a little bit about him. Jeremy's right there helping John with a big fish. <laughs> she's a female. She was injected the night before with hormones. So she will release the eggs. We dry in the area. So we don't have, we won't want to have any water on it. But as you will see later, she's gonna just flow <laughs> eggs. And is that liquid that you see coming out of is actually eggs. There are flowing eggs and there are millions. I mean, well, half a million eggs probably will come out of this female. And he's just pushing them very gentle. Sometimes they don't want to cooperate and they slap you all over. (laughs) So we take those female eggs, of course, egg females, we'll put them in these tubs. And now we're going to take the males. And as you can see, we're squeezing the milk. Uh The sperm out of the males who also were injected the night before, we put water and we activate. Now the sperms are going to go and fertilize the eggs. And uh, we have to wait about four minutes for this whole process for the right time, because this is whole the process of how we make the triploid grass carp. So what we're doing now is just going to induce the triploid. I'll talk a little bit about that later. I just wanted to continue the video because it's just going and it will be short. So we put this the eggs in this cylinder and the cylinder will be submitted to a pressure, hydrostatic pressure, and we put a, underneath a jack. And um, after, say four minutes after the fertilization is when we apply this pressure. And this guy, John Cassani, is coming up with the pressure with this jack. And then once the pressure is 90 seconds of the pressure, then he releases them from these cylinder, put them on those incubator tanks where all the eggs are going to hatch into tiny little fries that you see there flying. I mean, flying, swimming. Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah. So That's the
1: end of the story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so let me get this all straight. The uh, guys that are are listening, you need to take a pause if you're really interested and watch this video online because it's really, really cool, is that you actually... I mean, it's not any different than artificially spawning anything else. Uh, Walleye—you inject them with a little bit of hormones. You palpate the, the bellies. They put the eggs and the sperm together, and right. and you know a little Marvin Gaye goes—you know—music in the background, and then we're all rocking and rolling. And then all of a sudden, but the difference here is now you take these eggs and you put them in this uh, glorified metal pipe. That's right. And then he, you can see him cranking down this jack, creating pressure with this gauge. Yeah. And if I'm reading this right, it's 9,000 PSI. Yes. You're hammering these things in. Oh, my gosh. So they get this for a short period of time. They're getting cremated with this high pressure. And then pop. And then you pour these eggs into these hatching containers. Sure. And... From there, that pressure has messed up the chromosomes in a trip or a grass carp from being yeah. diploidy.
1: Well, ex- I'll explain that about, a little bit about the chromosome, okay? Okay, good, good. Yeah, because it, that word triploid is not as scary if you understand what it means. In, in fact, but before we go into that, let me tell you a little story if I, if I can about because yeah. this hydrostatic pressure was like one of those. Like, who came up with this idea? Well, I tell you what, the salmon industry, they were already doing this triploidy grass, no grass carp, but salmons. The idea was to make them bigger fish. So they will not spend time reproducing, they will spend time just growing, but that didn't work. Uh, The fish were still not so much of a difference between a triploid, salmon and a diploid salmon. So, but Cassani, John Cassani came up with the same, he saw that idea. It's like, why don't we take that and apply with the grass carp to make the sterile fish so they will not reproduce anymore. And right. Now, this idea of high, using hydrostatic pressure was not even applied at all with the grass carp. So somebody at the University of Florida, you know, yeah. big researcher there, University of Florida, <laughs> He came up with this, well, we're going to try, instead of hydrostatic pressure, we're going to try temperature shock. Jerome Sharman, okay, researcher in fisheries at the University of Florida, he said, we're going to make it a massive with temperature shocking. So they were just going to use that technique. And here in Lee County, tiny little Lee County, John Cassani, (laughs) he worked his tail off on this measurement to find out. How, when after fertilization has to be applied? How much pressure and how long? I mean, those were the three questions that, that he needed to answer. Um, I, he did trials and trials and trials. I tell you. Finally, the answer of that, we did it in a, such a way that was so massive that he get a better result than the temperature shock.
0: Ah uh, Wow. And then he came out, had a success. What did the uh was there a little bit of controversy or or uh after well, he came out, was there a little bit of egos? A little yeah, bit yeah,
1: because <laughs> here, here's a guy <laughs> which is a fishery biologist down from Michigan and down in working in Lee County with nobody has any idea, like okay, so who is Lee County Mosquito Hyacinth control? Nobody, but the university of Florida has a big name, you know. Yeah, so the, the thing is that they were just coming up. You know almost a month to month you know coming with research and finally we publish that this whole procedure in the journal of aquaculture oh my goodness no the fisheries i think it was aquatic no no the world Aquaculture society i think it was um anyway the journal is in fact if you go to our website you can find the the, the publication and what the beauty is that we publish that so everybody in the world that gets that journal can actually see the methodology. It's not a patent. It is no patent. It's just free for all because it was done with the government monies. And I think that was a good idea because, I mean, here's for the benefit of of humanity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then you knocked out. And then so, but, and I I love it because I actually... Uh, you went into Lee County. I vid- visit your place. Uh, it is a, mo- I mean, you have a landing pad and back. You get helicopters spraying mosquitoes. Yeah. I mean, and then you go to your office, which we'll talk about in a little while. And then I got to go back into the barn where this video is filmed that we just saw. Yeah. Uh, they put these grass scarps in the glorified swimming pools. Yeah. And i have actually get to see this you know uh hydrostatic pressure device yeah. you know and i get to hold it that he actually used maybe not for the first one but during the duration of all this testing which is really awesome yeah. and then you had these long concrete vats all oh, 100 yards long that were just full of nothing but duckweed and i was oh, like yes. "What are you in here and you said well, go ahead tell the story of why you had these long just a concrete vat yeah that was 100 feet maybe long by yeah. two foot deep just water in it just sitting there
1: correct in fact let me show you a little bit about that uh we'll come back to this this is the technology of, of the difference between a diploid and a triploid we can come back to this yes oh and by the way just to prove that they're triploid we took blood samples and we did karyotypes this is a Uh, They do the chromosome counting, and you can see that the chromosomes are all in three sets of chromosomes. By the way, you know the grass carp? We humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes. You know, like 23 and me? Yeah, 23 pairs of chromosomes. Grass carp has 24. (laughs) So are they more evolved, uh, more advanced? Yes, of course. I think they're a little more
0: advanced. than. Of course
1: they're more advanced. They have more chromosomes. They're better than us.
0: <laughs> That's right. Oh,
1: oh, oh, so, so, so here's how, because people say, well, how do you prove that it's a triploid versus a diploid? I mean, is that a three sets of horns that come out of their bread? No, 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 no. It's actually the red blood cell on every blood on that, on that fish. If you have a triploid, It has a lot more chromosomic material, so it's a little bigger. If it's a diploid, it has a little less chromosomic material. So the nucleus, which has in the red blood cell, has the nucleus. You can measure the nucleus, the particle size with this machine, which is a coulter counter. Uh And we take the blood, we put it in these cubettes, and then we take all the thousands of cubettes. I mean, each one of these represent a fish. So we put it there and we certify one by one, thousands (laughs) thousands of fish, and this is the result. A triplo will be a bigger size particle. The diploid will be a little smaller sized particle. How about that? Huh? But they look identical.
0: Now, the fish doesn't look anything different externally oh. different than everything else, but you take the axle of the blood, measure it, and the coulter counter yep. actually measures the weight of the chromosomes inside of it, and then yeah, great Im- image here um, of basically he has a line and then yep. a bar graph showing um, off the exactly where uh, where the heavier of the chromosomes are. And Correct. it's not
1: there on the diploid and obviously there yeah. on the triploid. So that's know. that's the only way to identify the triploid is by measuring the blood. And uh, people say, well, how yeah, you can't do it visually if they look identical.
0: Really? So, but the uh, triploid, though, even though it has three chromosomes, since we're here, oh. it, it can re- can it reproduce? I mean, can two triploids go to town? Or yeah,
1: I mean- they they actually they can mate. They will have if you put a triploid male or female, either one combination. We try those combinations. We try triploid female with a diploid male, and we they mate. But when they reproduce the eggs and the sperms, they come out really funky. I mean, they have, the, the cells will not be completely right. The chromosome numbers are not going to be completely right. So when they fertilize, the eggs are not viable. And we okay. have done those studies and we have, because we put them in pools and we even them. <laughs> because that's another thing. We want, you know, scientists, we're crazy. You know, like, we wanted to prove that if you put, triploids outside in the wild, the triploids will be mating with the females, and they will not be producing any good eggs. So, you can lower the the population by putting more triploids.
0: Huh. So, like, if you had an escapee diploid population, Mm -hmm. you could actually reduce the success of reproduction by introducing the triploidy Correct. Into the system. Interesting. That's wild. Okay.
1: So these are the ponds where we put them, we cover with net and we fill these ponds with tiny babies, and we raise them all the way to, I mean, thousands. I mean, we were doing, and we did it in cages. I mean, we put these floating cages. We were putting thousands of these fish, and the cages were feeders, automatic feeders, and we would have the cranes pull them up and all that. We had these Swimming pool. That's where you saw the, the the infrastructure where we have swimming pools full of fish. I mean, recirculation system. We produce so many fish in this facility that was unbelievable, and they were all triploid grass carp. Huh. And we let them go this big. <laughs> They're like humongous. No, that's just a Photoshop. I wanted to just. This is their actual size. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so you'd raise them up to about 12 inches, just like we see now. Yep, that's And then you'd put them out into the wild, and Mm -hmm. you wanted to make sure before you got going that, one, they're sterile, two, there's a way of testing them, three, that even though they were triploidy, they couldn't reproduce anywhere, and then all of a sudden, you guys started, you know, getting all these fish, you know, you're raising all these fish, what'd you do with them after you raised thousands of these fish?
1: Here, let me play this one because it's an adorable fish. You see them so slick. So you you were asking like, where would we do so many fish? What we do? We most of them we put them in the Cape Coral canals. This is Cape Coral in Fort Myers and uh, Lee County. Cape Coral is uh, a. <laughs> it was built and sold the property saying that you will have you can buy a canal a property right next to a canal, and so, so they claim also that all those canals join together so you can go from one no that is not true there's all kind of barriers <laughs> they don't tell you the truth when they're selling you stuff. About...
0: but then what i'm looking at is it kind of looks like if you looked at a computer chip you know oh, looking know. at from a from the sky I know. thousands of miles of,
1: of my canals. 400 000, yeah 400 um 400 miles of canals
0: oh my gosh of just canals all segregating yes. and everybody's trying to go out into the ocean and, or the, the Gulf. Yeah. And, and some of them uh, are
1: salt water. Some of them are freshwater. So obviously in the, the freshwater system is where we put the grass carp. Yeah. So that is a maze. Imagine going from one place to another, you have to really have a GPS well or a good map and then trying to figure out how to, because sometimes the, there's no bridges on those canals and then you have to, all the way around and get lost
0: <laughs> yeah you could easily get lost for sure yeah the uh and then but they were starting to get aquatic vegetation and blocking and not being good navigational
1: canals correct this is in 1890 1985 and 85 was like almost nothing growing i mean there are very a lot of lots you see the next 1995 10 years after more developed, more homes, the same canal system. It's the same system that you're gonna see here. 10 years later, 2005, that, that is really busy. <laughs> and then you have all that. And then the last one is 2015, forget it. <laughs> there's yeah. no room for, it. there's still some lots there. You should still buy some few lots. Here's an empty lot and you can go and live in this, yeah. In yeah, this that's, coral.
0: yeah, it was like in, what was the first one? Eighty-five? Did you say? So yeah, yep. thirty-five let me, years. Let me go back so to this, this hundred miles. Is like a handful of houses on all these canals. Yeah, you know, to everybody is bumping elbows. Yeah, know, exactly. And, this is crazy,
1: crazy, oh crazy. My
0: goodness,
1: yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about. The, uh, if you may if you want to talk a little bit about something else, because I I have a video here just to show how we measure. Okay, so you have these kind of problems. This is a monster canal system that, how do you control the vegetation there? And we use chemical control, we use mechanical control, and now biological with the fish. But we have to be careful because uh, you don't want to put too many fish in a system because the fish will eat everything. They don't discriminate. And, And that's the problem with a lot of these places where, they think this is the, the fixing is just put as many fish. You have to put, you have to first evaluate how many, how much vegetation, underwater vegetation you have. And then you stock accordingly to that. That's and that's correct. the number one yeah. problem. People just so, put it by acre. You guys had to, in the eighties, they thought they were a
0: miracle. And then the pendulum kind of swung the other way because mm-hmm. they were an awesome fish to throw the fool out of in the, in the, Lake canals and like you were saying, they're eating up wait, wait, they're eating up everything. Yeah. And then the water actually deteriorated in water quality. Is that right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Because you overstocked.
1: Overstocked, right? That's correct. And it causes a lot of problems because, but it was the mistake, is not because of the grass carp, it's because how they're using that tool. Let me let me tell you one of the problems that always they we always encounter is that. Uh, companies want to sell as many grass caps as they can and then they will sell you the maximum allowed in that pond or in that lake or in that system because they make the profit. But that's the wrong way to do it. You you start you should start with half of the, the maximum and see how they're doing. You always it's easier to add the fish rather than to remove them. Uh-huh. So you add half of that and see how they're doing. And then, okay, the next year, then, it's not like a one-time deal. And you, you have to monitor. And that's what my next video is. How we do that is by going with a boat. Can I go and play that? Yeah. So yeah. I, go for it. This is a student from a um, university that came to do an internship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Annie Armstrong, and she's putting here uh, connections to all these, this is a biosonic, is a, a acoustic bio, uh, like a sound system, has a connected to a computer, a laptop that can tell us with the sound system so we can find what is the amount of vegetation underwater, And that's what she's doing here, she's driving on this boat, with the Hyacinth Control District logo. And then we can determine here, in fact, I'm gonna put a pause because this is the kind of like information that we can get in with this system. The the blue line that you see there, the light green is all the bottom and there's no vegetation. So we know that there's no vegetation, you need to put more grass card there. But we go into areas and you'll see vegetation in there and there will be all spikes. So we quantify how much vegetation is in the system. So,
0: you do a little bit of research before you know how many fish to put in there. So mm-hmm. the, Absolutely. The, the, the kind of the, the, the conclusion is now you have we have the technology of going in there and evaluating the amount. We're not going by surface acreage. Oh, you have 100 acres. That's that many grass carp, period. All right. But you actually do it from a, somewhere of a how much food's down there. Exactly. Let's start putting these fish in there because then we don't have the issue of eating or consuming Go everything on. and then having some issues with no vegetation at all, which exactly. can lead to some a lot of different and other issues themselves, oh, correct?
1: Yeah, and it affects the whole system because the, the water clarity goes down if you eliminate everything. The habitat for fish, oh my God, they all will get suffer because fish need some habitat. So there's a, there's a lot of things that the grass can be wrongly used. And I think that's that's the problem here. Um, okay. I have some graphics here if I don't want to bore you with graphics numbers. But these are the numbers that we put in one time. And then we were under controlling this. But as soon as the numbers start going up, we put again another grass card batch here. And it's going down. So we are measuring that constantly. So month after month, we go and we do some analysis to see how much is the vegetation. And then we put according to that. This All right, is one so, of the units. Yeah, Here's so but if
0: I'm reading this graph right, I'm a little bit...
1: Oh, I'm uh, sorry, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's basically, and for the viewers at, a, at home that are that are driving down the road right now, uh-huh. it's basically you, twice a year, it looks like you drive around and then you can see at this certain place and as you see the vegetation start to creep back up, yeah. um, then that's a, a time to salt some more grass carp in there, you yeah. know, and, and add some more and then you can see that, uh, curve go back down and then repeat itself how mm-hmm. often are you putting these fish in every two years three years five yeah, years it,
1: it all depends on how much uh, vegetation start crawling up like when you see the numbers going up then is when we decide to put the on a fish and we don't put the maximum amount we just put certain amount and see how they're doing
0: huh okay and now then it's it's a uh, it's evaluate how much the biomass stock the fish evaluate again to know if you hit the right number or you need to add some more uh later in in that slow number it's all continuously management as this is it's not a one-shot deal into which you walk away i'm done <laughs> you know it's uh a, it's it's a continuously and and i like this i i really do and I, I think i think grass carp i've been kind of not to get philosophical but the this is where I think grass carp kind of got the bad name is that yeah, we thought they were really awesome. We didn't understand them just mm-hmm. like any, even algicide or herbicide or anything like this is it's a tool in the toolbox. And yeah, we really got to understand when they are good mm-hmm. and how to use them just like anything else. And I don't think just surface acreage and throwing fish in there, mm-hmm. which a lot of people are recommending. Um, May not be the answer to a lot of your solutions, and right. and and go on, Ernesto. I, I cut you off. Sorry about that. No, no, no,
1: no. You 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 got it. You you understood exactly what. I, and I'm so glad that you're explaining it because that makes a lot of sense when you when when we listen to the homeowners are saying, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we're not gonna put so many grass car. We're gonna just monitor this.
0: Continuous management. Yeah, it's kind
1: of neat." You know one more thing i would like to add is that not all the plants are going to be eaten in the same way because the grass kind of has like everybody else has a preference i like the crunchies <laughs> i like these kind of plants they love hydrilla they love cara they love nias they're on the water plants that are standing and they're very easy to for them to manage and eat it uh, some other plants, they don't like to. They don't going to be taking so much, like the hyacinth. No, they, they might nibble on their roots if they don't have nothing else to eat. And that's what happens. Sometimes they have nothing to eat that you'll see them even trying to munch on some cattail <laughs> the Poor thing can't even get to the cattail. So you will see some uh, horrible scenarios where they put so many grass carp and there's they're trying to eat in. Eat the grass on the that is just laying on the on the top because they had nothing else to eat.
0: Right. The uh, but I, I like to say that the when you're salting in this program, they have a very selective palate, not only on um, speciation, but even times of year of the species. Uh, like for instance, like you said, Cara Nitella are really awesome when they're young. They'll eat the full out of them just like Ernesto said, but they get old. They get kind of calcified, and well, if there's a nice fleshy something over here, a southern naiad, it's really leafy and nice, easy to consume. Remember, they don't have they just have lips. They don't have their teeth are in the back of their throat, so they got to pull it off and they'll eat it. They may go after that. It's kind of like a kid if you give them broccoli or you know <sighs> uh, you know a cake. They're going to eat all the cake first, and that's what these little boogers. Are that's just true. notorious of doing cattails, raging water millful. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot, if it's really stemmy, yeah. it's not really a preferred uh, method of treatment. And that's correct. That is correct.
1: And yeah, I just put a video here of uh, the last grass carp video that I have on the water. Naias is all over there, and they will eat the naias as well. So
0: yeah Niods are a really leafy southern pondweed, a lot of plants, and they just use this and and I were I will add a little bit of my point of view is in is that I really like grass carp and combinations of of what Ernesto said with chemicals that use the chemicals to kind of knock things back and utilize the grass carp as more of a management mm-hmm. um, kind of not allowing it to get out of control. Uh, management tool to kind of kind of hold the wall, so you don't have to, you know, um, go in there and have this huge impact with vegetation overcoming everything, but you still control and not eliminating the 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 total amount of it. Right. Well, that's that that's I love it, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I hadn't I had really had no idea how influential your district was. And the, I want to say the evolution of the triploid grass carp, the genesis yeah. of the triploid grass carp, yeah. this little tiny yeah. <laughs> district down there, beat everybody to the game and then put it, put it out was, I think it's a pretty yeah. awesome
1: story. If, if, I, if I may tell one story, because when I was a student, okay, I, I came to Auburn University studying aquaculture and doing this work on, and then in the classroom, the professor was all mentioned all suddenly, yeah, because they were talking about triploid grass carp. And he says, uh, "So is that it's so hard that it's to, No, no. Somebody down in Florida just made the triploid grass carp, and I was a student. So later on, I start working in the area and applying Florida to a, this Lee County Hyacinth Control District. And sure thing, when I start talking to the guys, like, "Yeah, we came up with the, the triploid grass carp," very humbly, John Castani. It's like. You were the guy who we were mentioning. <laughs> and this has been the, the most fundamental tool for aquatic, for long-term aquatic weed control, because it's a triploid grass cart that has been used over and over. And it's, it's, a, it's a one of those tools that is very good. Yeah, I love it. So you also just, I wanted
0: we jumped right into the, the program. And I haven't really even talked about uh, how much you do uh ernesto is that a i mean you do also a a pond watch program
1: what is what is that yeah well that that is another thing because you know you we cannot be just doing one thing we have to educate a lot the homeowners we we have a stormwater ponds down in florida and everybody has a concern about their property is going to go down in price because your pond looks nasty so we try to educate the homeowners on how to do the best management practices to make the pond looks almost natural. And that's where we come up with this education. But one of the key elements here is that we ask the volunteers to sample water so they know where the nutrients, which is, is the reason why they have so many weeds, whether it's microscopic planktonic algae, or some underwater plants that are growing is the nutrients is what causes the weed to grow. It's not the plant itself. But the plants are going to grow if you have nutrients present, and that's where I, I ask the volunteers every month. They collect the samples, and then we run the analysis, and we see the the fluctuation in the year, and they kind of identify where the sources are. Oh yeah, and I
0: we have hit so many times in, you know, I guess. 40 some 50 podcasts that we've done is that um that nutrients you know one pound of phosphorus gets 500 pounds of algae but the, the nutrients is the bottom the influencer of how much biomass how productive the overall lake or pond to be productive may be good mm-hmm. if you're trying to, for one goal if you push the nutrients in one direction but it can also be bad because it creates a tremendous amount of vegetation, like where I do not, I do not envy your job when you have 400 miles of canals and everybody having social pressures of how good their lawn has to be, and just throwing things out on sidewalks and fertilizers on streets, which I can just walk down the street and see where everything is. It goes in the stormwater inlet right out to the canals or stormwater pond, which you do. And that's where I'm sure a lot of fundamental teaching is is
1: yeah. at, right? Yeah. Oh my, you're right. And, you, and it's educational. And I think that's the key element here. Once the homeowner understands where they saw the issues are, they can control it. That's right. They, uh, yes,
0: yeah, education. Yeah, we're we're speaking the same song there. Education is a very, very valuable tool in managing water. I walked into your office. This is what's really, really neat, which I've never, I've walked into a lot of water quality places. But you actually, well, phosphorus is the key element in, in water. It's it's one of the limiting elements. We'll talk about it. If you want to learn more about it, you can go back into our casts and, and take a look. But But it's sometimes kind of harder to, tests for it's not something that we can go out and put a you know a, a stick eliptis test or something that we can you know check like pH out of your swimming pool or a probe off a of monitoring equipment. It's actually you know you have to some phosphorus we have to even digest an acid and then right. it's pretty elaborate taking these tests but they are imp- so important in the same way with nitrogen. You have this machine Mm-hmm. And the central part of your lab that you yeah. can line up, you can talk about it. So did, like did I have time? Infinity amount of phosphorus samples. And then you line them up and automatically just, and then the next day, mm-hmm. you walk in and they're all done. Yes. And it was like, what? It's like this little tiny box. Like, I mean, like, I don't know, two big suitcases next to each other. And then yeah. it was just like a marvel of a piece of machinery. Yeah.
1: And you, How you, many you samples tried. can you do a night? It was... I, I do about 50 samples a time. So that has been a phenomenal, that's been giving me the sanity because in the old days, I used to do it all by hand. You put huh. the samples, you add the chemicals, and you measure them one by one. Forget it. it. It took me weeks to do analysis. And now, in like you said, one day I can put this. the machine, is a robot. It will do all the mechanical stuff.
0: Uh, and kicks out the data. It's oh, big, time. phenomenal. It's yeah, it's really, really, really cool place. But you also, you have a passion for education too, because you, uh, I mean, you actually teach at university too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, and you've done that for twenty five years. Yeah, twenty five. I tell you, I started. Well, you know what? Who somebody told me when I first started in the district, and I was giving tours around and talking about the. Tripley e, grass and all that. They said, You should be teaching at the university. I said, eh, That's not a bad idea. So I try it and they like it. <laughs> 25 <laughs> years later, I'm still there. <laughs> so I, yeah, I work the whole day until four o'clock. And then I go to the college at nighttime and I teach nighttime classes there microbiology, biology, whatever is available. I teach there and I love it. I love it. Southwest Florida, right? That's it's, what now?
0: It's, you teach at Southwest Florida.
1: Yep. That's uh, I, I've been bouncing from one university to other, depending on when you know when it's available. As an adjunct, you you just accept whatever you have available. Um Gulf Coast University, uh FSW is a Florida Southwestern University. There's a private Hodges University. I tell you, I I love them all. I mean students are phenomenal. They keep me really thinking all the time. So that, that's, that's the best of all. I'm learning as long as, you know, this if questions are coming, I have to investigate and then I'm learning as well.
0: Yeah. Well, Ernesto Lasa de la Vega, which is the, the coolest name oh, on you. the planet earth is, uh, I am going to leave you here. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd want to talk to our listeners, the pond owners, the pond managers out there with your, I mean, years of wisdom before we, we let you go. And I thank you for your time.
1: I tell you, what, I my, the only thing I, I have to say, you got to listen to, you know, the old generation who has, may not have the whole scientific thing, but they they see stuff and they can tell you stuff. They don't know why, but you got to listen to that because, you know, that experience, cannot let that go. It, they have learned so much for so many years looking at something. And when they, you just had to listen. I mean, that's the problem with a young generation in a hurry. They're was in a hurry, you know, but if you sit down and listen to the stories, you learn.
0: Yeah. Take some time, right? Yes. Listen to the, listen to the wisdom. I looked in the mirror the other day and seen all this <laughs> gray hair on the side of my head. And, uh, I was like, man, I didn't, uh, I may be one of those older guys before you know it. You do.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) Hey, salute to you.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, hey, man, I appreciate the time and neat story. I've been looking forward to this podcast. I'm really sorry. Troy couldn't be a part of it. I'm sure he's missing it a ton, but thanks for the time. And I'm glad our listeners get to hear the story that I got to hear years ago. Appreciate it.
1: I'm glad to be here i'll tell you what, you're, you're a good friend and uh you count on me anytime i'm gonna go and swim in the pond as soon as i finish here so take yeah a couple laps and yeah, there
0: you go. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast sitting dioxide is brought to you by private water natural resource association a non-profit built just to educate the private pond and lake owners on the water quality and fisheries and all of that good stuff. There's videos, there's places to read, and there's a community built right into that website. So if you want to learn more, jump to pwnra.org and click. And by all means, make sure that this continues in the future podcast, education, video, become a member. If nothing else, There's tons of platforms. YouTube, Facebook. Just hit like. Send a comment. We appreciate everything you can do. Here, PWNRA.